We the bestest cast with the left twist. Fat, fairly well dressed. Put me on the guest list. The guest list. Uh, yeah, on the guest list. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another week of On the Guest List with Fox Trot and the Get Down, White Sox, Dave, Kenny Carkeet, and Dante. This is our final week without our beloved Kenny Carkeet as he is delivering twins tomorrow morning. I was just talking to him. Don't make promises because I have a feeling <laughs> that he's going to be missing quite a bit in the next month or two. We got Dante in the building. Uh, co-host this week. This is a long time coming. We have the recent Takey Award winner for Southern of the Year. We have Ben Mintz on the podcast. Ben, how are you, buddy? I- I'm doing great. I got to be honest, I'm in a little bit of recovery mode. I've done a lot of concert runs in my entire life. I'm usually good for like a good two or three nighter, but I just did seven nights in a row. Uh, uh, Yeah, all timer. Never done anything like it. Did all five of the widespread panic residency at Beacon Thursday to Monday. And then I went to Fish and Jones Beach Tuesday and Wednesday. And damn. uh, So I'm here and I have a lot of thoughts about everything i saw that that's, yeah. that's for sure but dude you tired yeah are you tired uh yeah a little bit but man like the thing with me i the, the not drinking alcohol uh you know i quit drinking like two and a half years ago man just the not booze and you don't get worn out so bad you know and so yeah i am a little tired for sure but i mean i was still going to work but i was taking naps during the day laying low you know, I'm not out partying until 2 a.m. after, you know, I'm just going home and going to bed. And so kind of kept it going. But, you know, it was just a, it was a historic chance for, for like the jam band heads like I am. You never freaking see Panic and Fish together. Panic's always in the south. Fish is always up north. And the fact that they were playing, you know, right by each other, like I've never seen that happen before. So uh, it's, it's seize the day, baby. Also, so, late yeah. July. This time yeah. of year, slow sports time. You want to do the rock and roll, this is the time to do it. It's like a Haley's comment of, like, the jam band scene is to have those two bands, like, directly next to each other. Uh, speaking of also tired from shows, the, first of all, this podcast has been show after show after show. We have shows coming up. But we had uh, White Sox Dave at Bonnie Raitt last night. Uh, Dave, you're, Dave, you're in recovery mode as well. How was last night for you? I, I have not stopped drinking. Um, <laughs> I didn't quit drinking. I am... It's one of those hangovers. Like, I woke up fine. Um, but it's one of those hangovers that just got worse and worse and worse throughout the day. So I'm a little bit struggle bust right now. But Bonnie Wright, man. Fuck, was she good. She's unbelievable. Where, where was it, Dave? Ravinia. First time I had ever been at Ravinia. Sick. Amazing um, venue, right? What a fucking place that is, man. It's BYOB. Uh, we had seats. Like, if I could have done it, I, I, I threw down for expensive tickets for it. Um, so we were like right on top of her. We had like, we were like 20 rows off the stage. If I could have done it again, I would have probably done the just general admission lawn seats and just jammed out. Um, but it was, that place is so fucking cool, man. It, I, I had a great, great time there. With that said, <laughs> that is the first concert. So I had I, the only other concert I can kind of compare it to is I've seen Fleetwood Mac like five times. And Fleetwood Mac was at the United Center. You're getting loud. You're singing along and stuff. This, we got to our seats and um, uh, what's her fucking name? Why am I blanking on it? Maren Morris. Maren Morris. Yeah, Maren Morris. Yeah, awesome. Maren Morris opened for, and wow. she was like otherworldly good as well. She's amazing. Um, and uh, once Bonnie started, like I we were, I was getting into it. Like her and I were getting into it, and um, the people in front of us turned around and like gave us a. Sh- 
Ooh. Like you are not allowed to get out of your seat. You're not allowed to sing along. Like anytime we had something to say to each other, we were like whispering in each other's ears, um, which was completely the opposite of any concert I've ever been to. Uh, that said, great show. She's still a babe at 72 years young. Absolutely. Yee, yikes. <laughs> what? Come on, man. No hate. You can, say, you can say she's good looking for her age. You don't have to call her a babe. Okay, she's good looking for her age. She's 72. <laughs> and I Ugh. when I saw she was 72, I was like shocked. I wouldn't have guessed she was over like her voice is every bit as good as it's ever been. Oh yeah. It is oh, yeah. so fucking great boy. Dude, um, I mi- I missed two concerts. I did not know either of these concerts were in Philly last week because I've been so wrapped up with this bullshit. I missed Tedeschi Trucks band, which was heartbreaking. Found I, out night. I of. didn't go in January. I should have fucking gone. And yeah, I'm, you should always go. You should always go to that. I mean, Derek yeah. Trucks is God. Yeah, I mean, and yeah. Susan I mean, that's just, a beast. I, I, I'm a fan for sure. And the, I missed, uh, it was Ingrid Michelson and um, our fucking beloved, oh my God, wh- why the fuck am I blanking on her name? Dave, the girl me and you both love, Peloton. Nora Jones. I oh, Nora, Nora Jones. Jones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh I've my. never seen her. She's like my all-time favorite singer. She's unbelievable. Yeah. And I missed that show too. So I need to get back on my shit. I will be at Black Keys at BB&T Pavilion over in... Uh, New Jersey on Saturday, filming backstage with them for the podcast and Barstool Backstage. Wow, have, that's amazing. And when I tell you the content they signed off on for me, like to be allowed to do, I can't believe this. I'm literally texting Patrick Carney saying, like, this is my idea. And it ends, I'll tell you how it ends, because if you listen to this, you'll know how it ends on Saturday. Uh, I'm smuggling them drugs backstage, basically, is the plan for this content. They said, okay, that's funny. Let's do it. So, I cannot fucking believe the shit we have going on. We have OAR in two weeks where I'll be going on stage with them. A lot of shit going on. Uh, Do you know what you're playing yet? Have you, like, rehearsed with them at all? How's that, how's that working? Mincy, so I'm going. I'm covering it's OAR, Dispatch, and G-Love. I'm um, covering that day of. I am doing a harmonica battle with G-Love backstage. Amazing. That, that's a sneaky talent I bet you didn't know I have. I play the harmonica. Um, that's and that's cool. that's my childhood icon. So this is like fucking nuts to me. G loves uh, a yeah, fucking legend, yeah. man. I love that dude. But I'll also be singing the, on- the for that tour. The encore of every show is uh, "The End of the World as We Know It" by REM. And that's right. Shut up. That's right. That's yeah, right. D- Dispatch, OAR, and G Love come out on stage together and sing it, and I'm coming on to sing it with them. Have that's you got amazing. the lyrics down? That's a tough one. No, Six o'clock TV over milk. I coffee. haven't listened to it at all. But uh, all I'm saying is, don't fucking tell. Me, Barstool can't do music because we're fucking doing it. So suck my balls, everyone. Uh, before we get further into Mincy and his and his epic run, we also have an interview at the end of the podcast this week. It's Ben Abraham and Jillian Bell. Me and Dante did this interview earlier this week. Ben Abraham is an amazing singer-songwriter from Australia, uh, who just put out this music video starring Charlie Day from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, uh, and his wife, Mary Elizabeth. What's what's her name? La- Mary Elizabeth Ellis. Uh, and it was directed by Jillian Bell, and I didn't realize who Jillian was at first. She's Jillian from the show Workaholics, which is one of my all-time favorite fucking shows. She's hilarious. The video is amazing, and the conversation was unbelievable. So stick around for that. It's going to be in a couple minutes. Uh, but, Mincy, let's get back into your epic run, dude. So widespread panic, okay. fish. How how was everything? First of all, how was the beacon? Because I've heard amazing things. Okay. Well, so first of all, I moved up here. Uh, I've been a diehard panic fan for almost 20, almost 20 years. Yeah, started seeing them in Memphis when I was at Ole Miss, which is an hour away. And uh, like kind of a lot of college, you know, really the thing with Panic, it's very regional, huge deal in the SEC. Mm-hmm. They're from Athens, Georgia. 
but like really big deal in Tennessee, Mississippi, Louisiana, Alabama, South Carolina, North Carolina. And then they're, they all, they've sold out Red Rocks like 80 in a row. But then rest of the country, other than the South, Southeast and Denver, is very small. And right. so I actually love that about them because when they come up to New York, instead of seeing them in some huge basketball arena or a big thing, they're playing a freaking 2,500 historic person beacon, you know, which has so much history going back to the Allman Brothers used to do 10 night residencies there and Allman and Panic are tight being Georgia people. And so this show was actually scheduled as a five night run. It was supposed to be last August. Well, COVID moved it last August. It was supposed to be January, mid-January. COVID moved it again in January. And so I've been looking forward to this damn five-night run for almost two years. And it finally happens July 21st to 25th, which is perfect because football season's not going on and sports are slow. There's nothing to do. So right now is rock and roll time. So I've got a good relationship through Barstool, Steve Lopez, who's Panic's manager, loves part of my take and is a stoolie. So we were DMing and we messaged the whole time. And he, you know, really was all about us getting some Barstool people in there, which, you know, obviously I, I love taking people to, you know, the first Panic show. It's like part of being friends with me. So that was one of the coolest things we got to do was on Sunday night, night four, he gave us nine tickets and I took Hank, Owen Roeder, Nick Tarani, Playboy Marty, Quigs and Youngstown Bob, who all had just never seen Panic or anything like it. Just I hyped it up. Great crew. Yeah, great crew. We had second row in the lower balcony, one of the best oh, seats in the house. Fuck. Yeah, you want, you know, because I feel like Beacon, there's so much cool art on the walls and history. Like, I don't really like being in the orchestra because I feel like if you're down there, you don't get to see like the whole venue. Yeah. You know, and then I also was thinking in my head, like, the first time you see widespread panic, you're not like a panic fan. Being up front is, like, insanely intense. So I thought lower balcony was the way to go. And, man, it was really so much fun in that, like, Hank got his face melted. I don't know if y'all saw Hank's Twitter (laughs) on Monday. He had a tweet, like, I'm a spreadhead now. Like, that shit was unbelievable. (laughs) But everybody that went, you know, was like, man, you hyped this to the moon, and it was way better than you even hyped it. And I think the big part of that is seeing Panic in these small theaters because they have mm. such a big sound and the energy that comes off Jimmy Herring's guitar. When you see them in a beacon with 2,500 people, you feel like the roof's going to come off the whole time. So how, they start- how, many, how many pieces are widespread Panic when they're live? Six. Uh, you Six. got Jimmy Herring's, the lead guitarist. So the original lead guitarist, a guy named Michael Hauser, is actually about to be the 20-year anniversary of his death. Mm. He died of pancreatic cancer in 2002, and he was one of the founders of the band. And when he died, they replaced him with George McConnell for a few years. It was pretty good, but, you know, not at that level. And then they hired Jimmy Herring in 2006. He used to play with the Allman Brothers and uh, American Aquarium Rescue Unit. And he played with the Dead some. And that kind of, I I will say, just rejuvenated the band. Because he freaking just, I mean, the whole show, 60% of the show is just him murdering it. And you just feel the energy off his guitar. Uh, The other guys I want to mention, JoJo Herman's the keyboard player. He's an old Miss guy. He used to play in a Mississippi band called Beanland. I actually lived in the same college house as him a few years, a few years later. What? But he's kind, of, he's kind of the biggest old Miss tie. John Bell, JB, is the lead singer. Uh, Dwayne Trucks is the drummer. And he's actually, I believe, his uncle's Derek Trucks. But he's in that truck. Oh, there's family. the Almond yeah. Brothers connection. That, yeah, that, that, that family well, tree is insane, dude. Yeah, that yeah, truck. Yeah, dude, it's like a coaching hold tree. It's crazy. Hold man. on. Hold on. Mincy knows. 
way too much about this band. This is oh. like fucking. <laughs> this is oh. fucking crazy, dude. You're oh. like, are you like a roadie? Oh, dude, I've seen them. So I, I need to count the. Exact How many times numbers. have you seen these guys? I think I'm. I'm a, I think I'm a right at 175. Jesus what? Christ! Yeah. What? Yeah. Wait, I don't think I've I've been to 175 concerts altogether. You've seen this one group, Widespread Panic. Yeah. I've been to maybe I would times. guess 50 total concerts. I feel oh, like that's they, roadie. Yeah, I feel like they should be giving you like a a punch card, like when you go to like a. Well, they do. Like I mean, the manager gives me tickets. You know, okay. like I get free tickets now. And I, I just I just followed why, Steve Mitzi, Lopez so do- fucking fast. <laughs> Mitzi, why didn't you do a backstage interview? That would have been gold. Uh, so no, well, Dwayne Trucks was supposed to come. It was supposed to be Steve Lopez and Dwayne Trucks, or supposed, the drummer, was supposed to come by here, and like it, schedules didn't work out. But it's gonna happen. Fuck like they were trying to get awesome. by the barstool office, and uh, Trucks is a barstool fan. And then I really want to interview awesome. Joe, and I want to interview JoJo, the keyboard player, because. He's been really involved in the New Orleans Musicians Foundation, which raises a lot of money to help the NOLA musicians, you know, keep that lineage going down in New Orleans. And y'all know how involved I am with New Orleans and Barstool. Like, that's like my child. And so I used to live down there for five years. And so I want to partner up with JoJo and do some stuff with that and try to help. I'm really into that. So that's fucking um, awesome, man. Yeah, definitely. I, I would love to help out with that. No, oh, yeah. Mints, did you have any, like, you know when you show people, like, a TV show or a band or something, and you're like, you're going to fucking love this, and then, like, the entire time you're showing it to them, you're, like, looking at them being like, you like it, right? When you took all the guys, <laughs> like, you took Hank and Owen and all, and they see the show, was there any, like, fear in your head of being like, God, I hope they fucking like this? Uh, look, I mean, I, I, I hate to sound like swaggy, but how <laughs> can you not freaking love it when they play the beacon? You just like right when it starts, they just come out blasting so much in such a historic, calm, calm environment. If you don't like it, like I don't think I could be your friend. You know, like I just, yeah, I just don't see how it's possible. And like I'm telling you, I was with this crew, and I, and like I said, they heard me hyping it, and they were all in about going to see it. But like, like two or three songs in, they were all looking at me, just like looking at me doing the fist pumps. And then at the end of the first set, they played this like raging protein drink sewing machine with the light show. And like they all just got their faces like completely melted and like nobody could could believe it. And um and Hank, Hank like looked at me during the second set and just gave me a big hug. Just like kind of like I <laughs> Dude, needed this. Okay, so hold on experience. real quick. Dwayne Trucks is Derek Trucks' brothers and Dwayne Allman's ne- nephew. Yeah. Uh, is Dwayne and Derek brothers? They're brothers. Yeah, I'm looking at his Wikipedia okay, right so now. Dwayne's yeah. also married to Jimmy Herring's daughter, which is really funny because Jimmy's a lead guitarist to Panic. Um, Weird. So, like incestuous at this point. Yeah, well, Weird. So it's Dwayne's younger. He's like 30. But, uh, you know, he's – I think having him and Jimmy bringing the energy, how good Dwayne and Jimmy are, like definitely uh, re-energize the band, if that makes sense, because uh, they've been playing for 30-something years. But as far as the show, I'll, I'll make it quick on I mean, it was five nights. I'm not going to give you the review of all of them. They were all badass. Sunday night with everyone there, the Barstool guys, was probably the hardest rocking. I mean, they threw the, threw the hell down. Uh, humongous. Uh, they always play. They play Red, uh, the Funkadelic song Red Hot Mama, which I'm sure yeah. you all heard before. Yeah. Panic play, played that as the encore and just literally just burned it uh, to the ground. So Sunday with, the pan, with all the Barstool guys was – just incredibly special, and everybody was talking about it Monday. And you know, that's what's so fun about Barstool is like we have so many different people 
from different backgrounds and all that stuff. And so it was just so much fun, like showing them, you know, panic in the South thing and seeing how much they enjoyed it. And let me talk about Monday. Monday was one of the top. I mean, I've been to like 175. Monday was top five to seven panic I've ever seen. Uh, And I took no PFT went Monday night with me and PFT had never seen panic. And so Monday night, like the, the second set was just this huge, just raging. It's a bunch of panic songs. Y'all probably gotta know it, but it was awesome. They come out on the encore, and I get a text from the manager. Usually Panic plays two or three songs encore. He said, Do not leave. This is about to be like unbelievable. He texted me before the second set and said, This is gonna be quote, an F you goat dick punching set coming. <laughs> so listen to this encore. They come out and play five song encore. First song is like a tribute to Colonel Bruce Hampton, who's like one of their big influences, basically fighting. They play Almond Brothers Mountain Jam as oh, a tribute. No, as a tribute to the Almonds legacy at the Beacon. The Almonds used to play 10-night run to the Beacon. Jimmy used to play for the Almonds, and then Dwayne Trucks has the Almond ties. They shred this mountain jam. Then they played a, a slow song into the show, a Blood King cover. And I think the show's over, and they come out blasting into Black Sabbath fairies wear boots. And just, I mean, murder this. And then at the end of Black Sabbath Fairies where Boots, I think it's over. Not over. David Bowie Heroes cover to end it. No way. Dude, unreal. Best encore I've ever seen in my entire life. How the long was the encore? 40 minutes of the show. It was a, the first set was 70 minutes. Was, 70 minute first set. I was going to ask, how long do they play total? Uh, they play like about so first sets usually an hour and ten, hour and fifteen, thirty minute set sets uh set break, and the second set's like eighty-five or ninety minutes. And then uh encore is usually like two songs. Jesus. Like encore is usually ten or twelve minutes. It was forty on Monday night. Like show started at eight fifteen. I left at like twelve twenty. And they're thirty-five years into this shit. Yeah. Oh yeah. That is yo, playing an hour-long set in itself is yeah. an, is an exercise. Like it's not a joke. You're Dripping sweat at that point. Jesus Christ, that sounds fucking incredible. Yeah, no, the encore. I mean, I was literally in like, look, I, I, I'm not one of the people, like, you know, I love panic so much and I don't get like emotional at concerts much. I, I think I've gotten emotional at concerts maybe three or four times in my life. And during Heroes, JB's voice just crushed me. And the, the I will be king lyric, you oh, know, yeah. I will like, be king, <laughs> you know, like I just know all the king of the south stuff. It was like hitting me, you know, there's nothing uh, wrong about crying at a concert. Oh, no, I, not at all, dude. No, not at all. I'm not ashamed to talk about it. But uh, that like I just that Monday show that encore specifically, like I, I'll that was the best encore I've ever seen in any concert ever. Bowie, Black Sabbath, Almonds. And so, uh. The, the all five nights were really good, but Sunday was the second best, and Monday was like a top five to seven show uh, I've ever seen. And the Beacon, I mean, I can't. Have you ever ever been to the Beacon, man? I mean, just one of the most historic theaters in the country. So much history and really easy to maneuver. Like I know y'all go to concerts too. When you go to these big stadium shows and stuff, it's a big commitment with lines and crowds. Man, Beacon, you show up twelve minutes before and you walk right into your seat and. Drink lines aren't bad. You just walk right out. I mean, it whole experience in the Upper West Side, uh, just really can't say enough about it. And, you know, it's just so amazing to me that I've been seeing Panic. I think I started in, like, 06, so it's been 16 years. But to, these, to see something, I mean, I was 23 years old at that point. 
I'm 39 now and I love it as much now as I did then. Like it's something that, you know, like my mom's always like, what is wrong with you? Like, why do you love this band so much? And I just like, man, it's the bounce of my step every day. And like, y'all know, like I'm like 260, 265 pounds. Dude, I run four and five miles to these. Like what I do when I go run is I jam old panic shows I went to on the treadmill and I put the towel over it to not look at the clock. Well, all these jams are 10 or 12 minutes. So you're running like a mile of song. Yeah, I so run like, to, I run like, to fish shows. I run yeah, to fish shows. I'm like 260, 265. And man, I ran like 5.2 miles in 58 minutes the other day to panic. Jesus. And like, that's how much Jimmy Herring's guitar, like I compare it. It's like Popeye and his spinach, the energy that comes off his guitar. And it just gets in my soul, man. I don't even know what to say. It just <laughs> pumps me up so much. And like, even after seeing them five nights, like I'm trying to work in this Atlanta show here in a couple weeks at the Fox, you know, like, I mean, I never can get enough and I don't know, man. I just just like, love it so, so much. And now that I have a relationship with Steve Lopez, the manager, and we're going to get access to him. I mean, it's a, you know, it's just, it's a phenomenal thing. And, you know, getting to take the barstool guys and expose them and, you know, having here in PFT who plays in pop punk and is a guitar player, he had, he was just fixated on Jimmy Herring the entire time. He was just like, I don't believe literally what I'm watching here. Dude. uh, I, (laughs) Boys, you can what a review. That, 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 that was, a, I mean, if you, that, if you if you weren't planning on going to a widespread panic show, you are. I now. have to go now. After well, you gotta go with me too, because I mean, like, I'm nuts at these things, man. I get so freaking hyped because it's just. I mean, it's like I literally live for it. I don't know how you to say should, it. Like, bro, you should be on the payroll. No, no and so I've been that? doing the show reviews. I've been doing the show reviews on Twitter, and uh, I'm getting those things going now, and uh, people are loving, uh, loving the panic ones I've been doing the last few days, and. Man, I just couldn't have had a better time. Even after the fifth night, I felt – I woke up Tuesday. Like, I felt kind of bad on on fr- Friday. Friday night got really wild in there. Like, they just blasted the second set. And I, I was shook a little bit Saturday. Man, I woke up Tuesday, and I think that encore with the Bowie Heroes, like, cleansed my soul or something. I woke <laughs> up after five nights, and I felt freaking amazing going to work. Like, I was like, how the hell is this even possible? But is then, there a more is there a more polar opposite person to have on the podcast than Mince as opposed to Kenny? Kenny be no. sitting here. <laughs> no, it's a, it's no. a breath of fresh air because Kenny be sitting there like Kenny could go see his favorite band ever. Kenny could go fucking see Metallica or Rage Against the Machine and come back in and be like, yeah. it was alright. Nah, fuck him. Nah. <laughs> That's exactly what he nah. would do. don't care. This is fucking banging. I love Mincy. it. Mincy, I got I gotta say though, is there not a better way to introduce? your friends to music or a group you love more than taking them to a show and just watching them fucking, you know, beat the wheels off the place. Like you can send them live shows. You can send them an album. You can send them a hit song and nothing, nothing does it justice. Like taking them and seeing your favorite group live. No, and the thing is with Panic, and this is a lot of the jam bands too, people are always like, hey, recommend me a couple songs, blah, blah, blah. No, you have to see the experience with the energy and the fans and the light. And then Paul Hoffman, they got an unbelievable light show guy out of New Orleans. He just crushes. The light shows, you know, melt, melter. Dude, you, you, even know the, you, even know the, you even know the lighting. Oh, I know everything. <laughs> Name. This, is, this is insane. Dude, I know every like, like I said, I could I could write like an anthology on this stuff. So 
But anyway, so you got to see the environment and the energy, and then you get into the music. So people are always like, oh, what's your favorite Panic song? I'm like, don't ask me that. I forget. They have like 300 <laughs> songs. I went to five shows in a row, and there's zero zero repeats in five nights. Wow. You know? That's fucking crazy. Yeah, wow. that's what I'm saying. Like, that's why I'm so obsessed with it, because when you go see them, you get a totally different show every night, and then they bust out. They're not afraid to yank Dude. some huge covers. They Like one night, they had a Beatles, you got to hide your love away cover. There was a Beatles Duke Dear Prudence cover one night. Yo, you know, yo, I don't, hit, I don't, know, last I don't, night, think, I don't, Sabbath, Mitch, Almond, Neil Mitch, Young, you know, you never know what's going on. I don't think the average fan knows or appreciates just how hard that is to do. Like a lot of these shows you go to, I mean, dude, I, I wrote this in a blog last week. Billy Joel has been playing the same set for fucking 20 years. Oh, yeah. Same, same fucking set. He goes out there, he could do it with his eyes closed. To play a, a different set every night on tour, like that is fucking incredible. Incredible. Yeah. It, it, no, it is. That's what keeps the fans coming back, though. I mean, like I said, man, like I go to Five Nights of Panic. They still, in Five Nights, there were still like 10 songs I really love I didn't see over the course of five shows. I think they could go about eight with no repeats, like Fish. And now we can dive wow. into that yeah, part of this go. part. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we can transition. Fish played that Baker's Dozen in New York in 2017. Yeah. They played 13 nights in a row with no repeats. That's fucking like, that's, Panic can't do, do that. Like, Panic could probably songs. do eight. Panic could probably do eight. 13. But uh, so – Transitioning to fish, so Beacon, one of the best indoor theater venues I've ever been to, no doubt about it. So I get like two completely different experiences because I go out to Jones Beach on Tuesday. So all these diehard Ole Miss and Mississippi people that are veterans saw the opportunity with Panic and Fish, both in New York. And so all these people from Ole Miss and Alabama started flooding in Saturday and Sunday. Oh, like sick. they didn't do the first couple of Panic shows. But they came in sat, you know, you, I had a bunch of close old Miss friends started popping in Saturday, Sunday, and staying through the fish, you know. Mm. So we roll out to Long Island on Tuesday. I'd heard Jones Beach was nice. Man, that's the nicest outdoor amphitheater I think I've ever been to. Mm. It's out on the water. Y'all can see my pics on Twitter. Uh, probably mm. seated about 14,000. Um, it was about a 50, it was, it, I took a 50 minute train to Long Beach, and, you know, it wasn't bad. Wasn't too bad to get there. Uh, my, I've got a couple of really good friends that travel the whole fish tour, uh, and they you know, sell koozies and sell stuff on the lot. They're just sell psycho. buttons, sell whippets. Yeah, all the oh yeah, dude, like psycho, so, dude. These guys like fish tour way more than I like panic. I mean, these guys literally like they're on the road, you know. So hit the lot scene. Went to all them. Uh, one of them is my buddy Jeff Nesbitt, who I did the review with last night in the lot. The stuff that's been going around Barstool lately, the hashtag MILF, man, I love fall, yeah. and the hashtag IG bags, it's going to be a great Saturday. Both came from him, and I blatantly stole them, and now they're, <laughs> huge, they're a huge Barstool thing. The Saturday IG bag stuff's everywhere. So anyway, uh, the Tuesday Fish show, I'll be honest, like, I'll, like, I've seen Fish about 10 times. They never come south. When I live in Louisiana, Mississippi – like, I saw him at Jazz Fest once. I saw him in Oklahoma City. I've seen him in Nashville at the Ascend Amphitheater. Ascend uh, by, is great. Ascend oh, yeah, is by Cumberland, great. Yeah, the Cumberland River, yep. by the Titan Stadium. I've seen him about four shows there. I've seen him in Tuscaloosa. But, like, you know, it's it's just hard to see him in the South because they're, they're, they're not there. So, I hadn't seen him in seven years. The Tuesday show, I'll be honest, it was pretty good. It's always fun to see fish. But it definitely felt like a practice run for the week. 
you know, they have a five show week coming up and there were highlights. Like I really like bathtub gin. Me too. Uh, they played that. They did a really good Harry hood encore, nice. but a lot of it was kind of disjointed kind of, I'll say a little sloppy, still had a good time. You know, I don't want to sit here and sound like I'm not like the person that's like ever crapping on people. You know, I'm, any night I get to see a world-class band, I'm always going to be happy. But then I saw on Wednesday, yesterday was night seven of this run. I was kind of shook. You know, I was like, I can't believe I'm doing one more, but I'm like, I'm this far in. I have to finish it. Uh, and I had a feeling this was going to happen. I was like, Fish is going to know that they didn't have their best effort last night. And dude, last night was freaking unbelievable. What They're kind of hit and miss, but when it's right, it's really right. What was the highlight of the set last night? Well, I had never seen Bluff at in the 10 shows I've seen. Oh, really? They don't ever play it. They played that late second set, uh, an awesome slave to the traffic light encore, run like an antelope in the first set. Uh, Chris Corota, their lighting guy, one of my friends is married to his sister. He His birthday was Tuesday. <laughs> and like our whole our whole section like sang happy birthday to him at set break Tuesday. Um, but the show last night, the fish show last night was, I mean, spectacular to the point where I just did seven and seven nights. I might, might go to Merriweather in DC Saturday, Sunday. Maybe. You're a fucking lunatic, dude. I love it. <laughs> You're a fucking lunatic. Dude, summer Mincy, man. I'm on this run. It started, and Dave had a, Dave, your White Sox, your video, of John Cusack was did even more than this. But I had that Vandy Whistler incident. Oh yeah, yeah. Ago, and then that happened into the Ole Miss run into Omaha to win the title. End up being at Phil Ivey's featured table in day one of the World Series main. Then this panic fish run, and then I won the freaking takey for Southerner of the Year. <laughs> Pardon my take. So I've been hashtagging Summer of Mincy, but like. I feel like I've been walking around like a raging inferno since late May. Like, I don't know what's going on. I'm so high. Like, it's like everywhere I go, things are just popping off right Ride now. Ride the heater, dude. Yeah, no, and that's what I'm saying. This this music let run, it's almost taken a life of its own. Like, people were just at it, like, couldn't believe it, night seven. But, you know, I mean, damn, I might just have to rest up tonight and tomorrow and take a little train to D.C., you know. Damn, you know, it could happen. I heard the Merriweather Pavilion's sick, too. No, I've heard that, too. I've never been, and – uh you know, that's, that's, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely considering it for sure. We'll see. Do it. And do like I said, I fucking knew the second that you were down to do this. I was going to, I now I I'm a big fish guy. Like I'd like to run to fish. I've never seen fish live. Which I is fucking yeah. nuts. Um, my, oh, original- the, light, the, the fish light show Corona is the best in the whole business, dude. I, light I, show the production and, uh, the fish. I mean, it just, you know, it was, it was, it was phenomenal. And I did a review from the lot last night where I had a backwards hat, wearing my showing glasses with a cheeseburger in my hand with, with my buddy Nesbitt, uh, the, the fish. It was pretty funny. Like, I'm trying to get these, you know, trying to do a few more of those. But seven-night run of the shows, the Monday night panic was the best. Not even close. I'd say the fish Wednesday and the Sunday panic are neck and neck for number two. Is there any band that you haven't seen yet that you want to see? Uh, yeah, there are a lot. I mean, well, I, I love that you brought up the Black Keys. I've seen them once. I saw them at Hangout Fest in like 2011. Great so festival. here's something cool with the Black Keys. They've got, they just did an album last year with a couple of Mississippi blues guys that are Kenny Brown and Eric Deaton mm-hmm. that I used to see a ton in North Mississippi. And the Black Keys are actually playing this Memphis Music Fest in Memphis on the week in early October. It's like Jason Isbell, Black Keys, and Panic. And Memphis. 
the, the head of it wants me to go and hooking me up with stuff. So I'm trying to make that. Dude. And there's an old that old miss is playing Kentucky that weekend too. Yo, Colin, there we go. That's our we, that's our weekend. Well, we have the know, we go to the old miss game Saturday. For well, sure. the thing is, dude, we, we have work to Road do down trip. there because I'm a diehard Jason Isbell guy. Like I like it. No, he's I, my, he's I, my, I'm, an, I'm an Isabel fan too. He's my that. favorite songwriter, like currently. He hates Barstool. I believe it. He's so we're not we're, we're yeah, no, yeah, very yeah. far. Yeah. Yeah. But, but he, Isabel, I'll say this. He might hate Barstool. I, I really enjoyed it. I went to a two-night run of his at Pier 17 uh last uh fall. It was like mid-September last year. Uh spectacular. Unbelievable. I, I'm a fan of his as well. Only bummer, I guess I'm spoiled because of panic, but like the second night he like kind of played the same stuff as the first. And I was yeah. like, man, I thought that wouldn't happen. I was a little disappointed by that. I've uh, opened for drive-by truckers before, but I've never got to play with Isbel. And that's – I want to get to know that fucking guy and just change his opinion. I do because I feel like – the thing is, though, at the same time, like, I don't really give a fuck. But I – so when's that festival? That festival is October 1st uh, – September 30th through October 2nd. It's called Mempho Music Fest, and it's got a really good lineup. And then Memphis is only like that – like I said with Panic. Memphis was like the big city you went to if you were in Oxford, like going to parties. So I've seen, you know, whether it be Mud Island or Memphis in May or Orpheum, I've, I've seen a lot of music through the years in Memphis. But that weekend, Ole Miss plays Kentucky's top 15, 20 preseason. So that game's Saturday, and then Memphis Friday through Sunday. So I'm trying to, you know, definitely go to the Ole Miss game Saturday and do Memphis hopefully Friday and Sunday and, like, make it a big Southern weekend. So if y'all got any interest in coming – I promise we'll have a good time in Oxford too. <laughs> For sure. Do it. Dante, you're uh, your mic's out. Actually, so is Dave's. Oddly enough. On that note, Yeah, Dave, you go. My uh one of my college roommates, he actually got drafted by the Red Sox. But uh him and another buddy of mine uh from college, they they'll go to a random SEC game every year just to check out SEC football. Not that they're fans of the SEC. Yeah, they're just checking out the scene. Yeah. They're Northwestern fans actually. But uh they said Oxford, they both said Oxford's the absolute best tailgate scene, best atmosphere, like better than Bama, better than Tennessee, better than them all. They said Oxford is a place to go. And which kind yeah. of surprised me because I've never heard that before. Well so okay the thing with Oxford, I mean I'm gonna be very honest with you. The stadium atmosphere is not the best. I mean it's good but it's not LSU in a night game. Or, yeah, Death Valley. You know, like the stadium, sure. like seats 70,000. Like Mississippi's just not that big, and you have Ole Miss and Mississippi State splitting the state. The stadium atmosphere is good. The freaking everything else around the town is great. The Grove tailgate. Yeah, you can walk, so you can yeah. walk to the square where all the bars and restaurants are. There's great food. There's beautiful women everywhere. The music scene's good. You know, the campus is beautiful. So, like – Everything except the stadium atmosphere, I think, are like top top. And the stadium atmosphere is definitely good, especially for the big games. But like, you know, the Saturday night LSU. Yeah, you can't. That's true. You can't do that. Right. That's a whole. That's a whole different level. I mean, you know, also the only other person I've ever met in my life that also knows Eric Lindell. Yeah, yeah. Was from New Orleans guy. Yeah, he's he's New Orleans guy. I yeah, I've seen him love that guy's but Dave name. Dave is it still fuck Eric Lindell because he ghosted us uh I'm gonna email him again because now I can just be like yo dude you guys aren't too good to come on this show because fucking Ice Cube Pat Carney amongst others have been on X ambassador whoever you know we've had we, we've, we've had Foo Fighters on here like there's nobody that's gonna be able to tell us right. no it's not gonna happen this, he's he's playing with dragons dragon smoke now yeah so dragon smokes a few times I've seen them a bunch of times 
they only play a few shows a year. So Dragon Smoke is Ivan Neville, who's part of the Neville. Like I, I'm, I, didn't I also know, that. know like I know not quite to the panic level, but the New Orleans music scene. Like I lived in Nola for five years. I've been so dialed into the Nola music scene forever. <laughs> so Ivan Neville is part of the famous Neville family. His band's Dumpster Funk, which I freaking love. I oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I fuck with yeah. Dumpster Funk. Yeah, no. So Ivan Neville is Dumpster Funk. And his side project is Dragon Smoke with Eric Lindell. And then it's got two of the Galactic guys, Stanton Moore, the drummer, and Robert Mercurio, the bass player. He's the best drummer so on earth, super- dude. He's the best fucking drummer on earth. Yeah, so it's a so it's a super group with them four. And Dragon Smoke always plays some shows during Jazz Fest. And then they play probably five to eight shows a year. But like they all are in other bands that are their main project. Mincy, you ever uh, spend any time at the Howlin' Wolf in New Orleans? Lots. I got, we were touring through New Orleans and I got electrocuted on stage at the fucking Howlin' Wolf. Wow. Dropped on my ass. Like I'm talking, we were sound checking and the mic, whatever it was, it was a bad circuit or something. I put my lips to the mic and I I got and I fell. So I fucking, but I love New Orleans. Oh yeah. So New Orleans, as far as New Orleans music goes, Tipitina's and Maple Leaf are my favorite too. I used to live uh, uptown in that area. And, uh, you know, people wear Tipitina shirts all over the country, man. It's really yeah. funny. Like, I'll be at a show up. Like, last night I saw a couple people wearing a fish, and you just, like, see them, and you're like, yeah, there's yeah, the I head know. nod. You yeah. know, yeah, there's yeah, the yeah. head nod. But, uh, yeah, the NOLA, uh, I'm super dialed in. I still, you know, I did Jazz Fest this year. Um, I, I'm still super involved in the New Orleans music scene. Uh, I actually saw Trombone Shorty did oh, this. He, no, he did a voodoo throwdown tour this summer, and they played Central Park Summer Stage which seats about 2,000 people. But it was so cool because it was Trombone Shorty's the headliner, but he brought Dumpster Font with George Porter, the old meters bassist, was yeah. playing with them, and Tank and the Bangas. And so it was all oh, three of them. I love Tank and the Bangas. All three. It was Dumpster Font set, Tank and the Bangas set, and Shorty set. And they took it They took it all over the country. It was cool because, like, the way the New Orleans music scene works, everybody goes on tour in summer because New Orleans from Memorial Day to Labor Day is the ninth layer of hell. How hot, humid it is, and so it really kind of shuts down three months a year. And so the NOLA thing's really big in the fall and the spring. Fuck, man. All right, well, Mintz, do me a favor. You have to come back on. Oh yeah, dude. I'll come on and talk about. You know, you want me to? I mean, you want me to come on here and talk about New Orleans music or widespread panic anytime, man. You know, say no more. You ain't gonna ask me twice. (laughs) Well, fucking Ben and Mintz will be coming back on shortly. Uh, We got to get into our interview real quick with Ben Abraham and Jillian Bell. Uh, and then we'll come back quickly and we'll go through two things that happened in the music industry this week. But Mince, thank you very much. This is our interview with Ben Abraham and Jillian Bell. Yeah! How you feeling? Yeah! You feel all right? All right, ladies and gentlemen, on the guest list today, we have two very special guests. First, we have an Australian singer-songwriter who recently released a new album called Friendly Fire and just released uh, one of the wildest music videos I've ever seen for his song, If I Didn't Love You. And we also have the director of the video. You may know her from films such as 22 Jump Street or Workaholics. We have Ben Abraham and Jillian Bell on the podcast. How are you guys? We're so excited to be here. That was a, by the way, that was a fucking mouthful. (laughs) Usually the intros are just (laughs) like, great. Oh you did great. God. Thank you very much. Uh, like I said, I'm very happy to have you here. And we always like to start out with a quick point. I just want to say, Ben, congratulations on kind of being beaten to death by Charlie Day. <laughs> it's the, literally, it's the highlight. It will be one of the major highlights of my life. 
I, I, yeah. I, we got an email about this and I went and I watched the video and I was like, what the flying fuck is this? <laughs> and uh, my first thought was it almost felt like something out of like a Jordan Peele movie. It was just like surreal. And I, I, <laughs> but frankly, I am, I am born and raised Philadelphian. So when I see Charlie Day, I'm like, I have to watch. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. How in the hell did this come about? Well, originally, I mean, it all started from me kind of stalking Ben Abraham. I, think. <laughs> I, I saw a music video he did, and I was sort of like, I have to know this this human. I wanna I wanna create something with him. And I I DM'd him on Instagram. It was sort of like you have brought light to this pandemic. Your your music has for me. So like, can we know each other? <laughs> Wait, this and came then, from an Instagram DM. Yeah, Dude, this is yeah, this is even that's, better than I thought. That's our origin story. <laughs> and then, Wait, so hold on, hold on, Ben. Did you think it was real, or did you think it was uh, impossible? No, I I thought it was well because we have a mutual friend. So okay. she went from the angle of I'm friends with, and then I and I was like, it's just I love. I love every now and then this happens where somebody you know much more famous than me will be like I just you don't know who I am but I like your music and I'm like you're Jillian fucking Bell. <laughs> yeah, know, we know who you I are. know who you are. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I was like I'm just another uh, human writing you to say that you're amazing and that for some reason I want to meet you and hope that that amazingness rubs off on me somehow and um, we we became friends and then one day I was sort of like I want to I want to direct if you ever wanted to throw a song my way and he sent me if I didn't love you it was such a beautiful song and I I pitched him two ways the music video could go one was super romantic sort of within the realm of what the song is and then one was fucking crazy and he decided <laughs> to go with that as you I know. mean there's no there's no question as to which one <laughs> it was the, the, one was this beautiful video following this couple in different stages of their lives around a house and it was going to be very dreamy and then she then this other one i get beaten to death and i was like there's no question as to which one of these has to happen well what messed me up was the fact that you listen to the song and it feels like it could very easily be a couple's wedding song do you know what i'm talking about like it could yeah. easily be a slow waltz in the middle of a dance floor it and already it, has been Right? Has it been a wedding song? Oh yeah, this is the best. I got a very sweet Instagram. So when we announced that the video was coming, we were playing just clips of the very first section. So like this walking through the park and me playing and was like a 30 second clip on Instagram, teasing the video, not giving anything away. And a lot of my fans and followers that have known my music for a while um, know the song very well. And I got a beautiful DM from an Australian who was like, I'm so excited about the video coming next week. My husband and I just danced to this as our first dance at our <laughs> wedding last week. And we're so excited. And Julian and I just loved the thought of them waking up together because they would have woken up to the video being out in Australia and being like, let's watch, let's watch our first dance together. Having oh. a cup of coffee, setting maybe like lighting a candle, watching yeah. the music video. And then you're the creepiest like, person alive. Yeah. <laughs> and just them going, oh no. Oh no. And actually, there's one comment on YouTube that's fantastic that's just like someone being like, beautiful song, horrible video. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. It Wait, is. So, so, how did, hold on. So, how did Charlie and Mary Elizabeth Ellis come to be a part of this all? 
well, Ben really wanted it to be a real couple. And I was like, I love that idea. And then we started thinking of like some people that I know and I've worked with and, and I've worked with Charlie on Fistfight and Mary Elizabeth on Godmothered. And I just love them. And they're so down for crazy stuff. And, and they're such good actors that I was like, this is a long shot, but let's see, let's see. And I emailed them and I had sent them a lookbook of like, their faces being in basically every part of the lookbook. And I I was like, maybe maybe we can guilt them into doing <laughs> I clearly spent at least 25 minutes on this, at least. Um, and they, they were down. They were so down for it. And I was like, I'm gonna throw blood on you. They're like, great, let's, I'm, we're here for it. And they listened to Ben's music and they were like, who's this amazing man? We're obsessed with him now. And, and it all just kind of came together. We got really lucky. I, and it's the perfect two people. And you want to talk about YouTube comments? I was going through the YouTube comments on the video. And the first one uh, that was highlighted was, I feel like I'm in Charlie from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia's Fever Dream, and he's about to wake up with Frank Reynolds. Like, you know what I mean? It does. It feels like a trippy fever dream kind of a thing. But for those of you who haven't seen the video, please go watch it. And I don't want to spoil everything, but I will say the ending of the video is the most realistic thing that all you wanted was to be paid. As a musician, all you wanted was to be paid, and you got it, even though you had to get your ass beat to do it. <laughs> I mean, how much, how, how much back and forth went into this? Like, did you guys, was it like, a, oh, we should do this. This would be crazy. Or was it just kind of like, Jillian, you were like, this is what we're doing. Or Ben, did you have a lot of input on this? No, it, it was old. This was Jillian. This is Jillian from beginning to end. Like, and you know, I, this is the first, so Jillian, when we first met had, you know, talked about wanting to get into directing and there's some, you know, projects and things that she's, that she's putting together at the moment. Um, but this is the first thing that Jillian's directed and she was phenomenal. Like, I mean, obviously she's written for SNL and been nominated for Emmy. So we knew that she could like write things. Sorry, Jillian, I'm just going to talk about you like you're not here. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, you know, Jillian, you know, Jillian, the writer, you know, Jillian, the comedian. Uh, but now like watching her even just direct was, was phenomenal. And I mean, just going back to the Charlie and Mary Elizabeth thing. I mean, I, there, no show has ever made me laugh harder than Sunny in Philadelphia. Okay. And I have been a diehard fan since the beginning, and it genuine when I like I cannot overstate how much it was the best thing to be beaten to death by <laughs> two of my heroes. Like I just still can't believe that we got them to do it. I'm just amazed by how stoic you stayed the entire time. You did a great job of just also staring Jillian. directly into the the creepiest shit I've ever seen in my entire life. Like. Jillian, <laughs> Were you, you had to have been excited when you proposed the two options to say, okay, we can do this lovey-dovey one or we can get real fucking weird. Like when, when you got that back, were you like, let's go, this is the right thing to do. I kind of was like approaching it, falling in love with both ideas. You know, mm -hmm. I, I totally wanted to be on board for whatever he, he was swaying towards. And I, I was like, okay, well, if I do it this way, I have something super cinematic, but I didn't realize how cinematic the second option would be, which is the one we ended mm -hmm. up doing. Mm. And if you, I apologize. No, go ahead. I was going to say, and I'm I'm really pleased with how it turned out. It feels like a a short film. It's exactly what it, I like the fact that it almost kind of breaks that fourth wall of a music video where there's times where the music is secondary and you're like outside staring into the house. Uh, the direction was incredible, and <laughs> this is kind of a sidetrack thing here. But Ben, you said people know, uh, you know, know we're from different places, know Jill from different places. I have a, one thing written down in my notebook here because I'm a diehard workaholics fan. It hit when I was in college. I'm obsessed with workaholics. 
I have I know you as Jill the Dad Ruiner. I don't know if that quote means anything to you. But when I, I saw it, that was the first thing that came to my head. And, and that kind of brings me back to a question involving Ben here. You have been known for this kind of like off the wall kind of insane comedy. And Ben, I take you as a much more serious artist. Like I think about you and I think about the first thing I ever saw was the Peter Gabriel cover you did. Was it was it hard for you as a musician becoming an actor in this perspective to take yourself and be a little bit less serious, be a little more surreal, be a little funny? What a question. Thank you. Uh, well, you know what? <laughs> I, so my music is very, I think because of just the way that I write, I when I'm like in something, that's when I tend to write. Um, so my music is very serious and very emotional and whatever. But as a person, I think I... I think my sense of humor is is 100% what this video is and as a per and I've even had people in my life be like you know the the front facing Instagram version of you is not the nasty brutal dark humored human that we see day to day so I've loved um I've realized from now on any music videos I ever make um cuz they're sort of a little bit of a dying art form but if I'm going to do it I want them to all be funny and twisted and twisted and well, it's I, just I, so much more fun to do it so like that. I don't ben know. Abraham, that. Ben Abraham is a twisted motherfucker. <laughs> that's the that's <laughs> the headline on the website. That's, that's like, yeah, yeah. I ben like Abraham it. Well, hey, I I got I got to tell so I got to tell you something. So Libby from Atlantic, who is awesome, by the way, you're in great hands, Ben. Uh, she that. reached out. She reached out the week before this video dropped, and she pitched this idea and. I, I mean, I went, she mentioned nothing about the premise of the video. So I thought she said, Charlie Day and, uh, you know, Elizabeth Ellis are in it. And I thought it was going to be option one. I thought, you know, oh man, Charlie Day is going to be in this romantic music video. I listened to the song, the song's beautiful. So I go into this video expecting exactly what you just said, like first dance, wedding. And I'm sitting there watching this, like, this is fucking crazy what how does Lib, how does Libby like not prepare me at all for this video I'm so what glad she didn't I'm so glad she didn't uh, so, I, so I messaged Colin and, and our co-host and I was like guys we gotta we gotta fucking watch we gotta interview this guy for this video like, you gotta watch this video it's so trippy I mean and and on that Jill have has anybody in the like the film industry seen this and being like you need to start directing more this is like good shit that's the goal. Honestly, I, I like Ben said, because he's, he's my manager now. Um, I've, been <laughs> writing, I've been writing a lot of, honestly, like the funniest thing is too, is I'm like, eh, if I, if I, if I don't end up acting or directing or doing anything, I honestly want to give it up and just manage Ben Abraham because I, <laughs> so we take turns managing each other. I mean, what, good. What was, what was the most surprising thing to you after experience? experiencing things from the other side of the lens like what were you what did you like the most what did you hate the most what was the most difficult honestly i i don't think i shared this part with ben because i didn't want to freak him out but it was on it was like a test he was my guinea pig to see if i liked directing because i had so many things that i really <laughs> I I really wanted to direct a lot of stuff and I'm like, well, a music video is one day. If you hate it, you get you you push through, you get through it and then you're like, okay, not for me. And I was like I after that day, I mean, Ben and I just stood in in the street like after we wrapped. 
till like one in the morning, just talking about how much fun yeah. the day was. And, and, and I also, loved- a lot of people probably don't realize this, but Jillian, like the week before we shot this thing, actually shot the entire video on her phone with some friends as like a previs. It's a, we've got, we're going to up, we're going to put this on Instagram soon. Like we just sort of are waiting for people to see the video, but it's amazing. Like it's, it's what, and this is evidence that she's a great director. The janky iPhone is just as compelling as oh. the beautifully finished shot. Like it's, it's beautiful. I ben, literally I bribed my sister and two of my friends <laughs> to shoot the entire music video with me. And because honestly, a lot of that came from, you know, I didn't want to disappoint Ben. I didn't want to disappoint Mary Elizabeth and Charlie. I mean, they were doing huge favors for me and and I wanted it to be, I also wanted to be able to communicate with our DP who's amazing and has done a ton of music videos, like exactly what I wanted. There was a lot of special T shots. So I just wanted to show him exactly what I was thinking. And it was- It meant like the crew, everybody was so amazed on the day because it was, we were moving so fast and everyone was like, how, this is not her first time directing something. Like, uh, how is this possible? But we knew every single shot. She was so prepared. It was amazing. That's impressive. So where did this vision come from? Uh, <laughs> honestly, the, the weirdest thing I was going to say to you is the honest answer is probably just standing in my shower for a second and zoning out. <laughs> I, I, I have to be in water to think of ideas. And I'll, I'll just think, like, my brain works in a lot of weird twisted ways. My favorite movie of all time is Clue. And so I love something that's a little macabre um, always. And I like something with surprises in which it takes you from one place you didn't think you would start from and end at. And so for me, the beginning shot and the end shot of this uh, music video is so fun and interesting and dynamic. And I just, I hadn't seen it before. Like a a beautiful, (laughs) a man singing a beautiful song that you would expect to be the first dance at someone's wedding. And it's like, no, no, you haven't paid enough attention to me. And he follows them home, basically. I I just thought that that was wild. I think it's amazing to Ben thinking about it kind of like not posthumously, but after the fact, the fact that if, if this didn't go well, Jillian might not ever direct again. So you could have absolutely killed her life. But no, I, I think what I really enjoy about this too, and we talk about this a lot on the podcast, but there's this changing idea, I think, in music that I think this era of the over-serious kind of like make-believe rock star thing is kind of fading. And now I think it's people want to see you be able to step outside and be funny and be yourself, which is literally why I'm sitting here talking shit because I literally did the black and white photo phase and kind of my Lumineers phase where I was wearing Nashville hats. And you know what I mean? Like you go, <laughs> It turns out I'm just a dickhead from Northeast Philadelphia. That's who I am. That's what I do. So do you feel like this is the most honest interpretation of yourself thus far? Yeah, in terms of like music videos and things I've done, absolutely. Like, I think it's, I think it's the weird, the age right we're in right now is like, you're not just making it about your music now. It is about the everything that you are as a person, people wanting to connect with that. And I think, I mean, I'm realizing through this video, I've, I've also become obsessed with seeing on Jillian's Instagram, who's like liking it and commenting oh, it yeah. on it. And I've realized though that like, cause it's happened a few times with Jillian and there's a couple of other like funny people that have like, like comedians and things that have reached out and just gone, I just want you to know, I love your music and stuff. That um, that's, 
I'm like so thrilled by that because I'm like the music itself I get is very heartfelt and emotional, but I think in a very dark comedic way. And I love that it's connecting with those sorts of people. It makes me realize, I think it's getting through. Like, I think I'm finding the people that I'm meant to find um, with my music and the world that I see myself in. Um, so I think, yeah, this feels so much more honest than, than other things that I've done. And I think I'm just excited to kind of do more of this kind of crazy shit. We need a part, <laughs> okay. two. We need a part two between you guys. Honestly, yeah, we, I agree. We keep uh, thinking to each other what it could be. We're like, yeah, we've, got a, we've already got some ideas. Yeah. <laughs> ben, as for the song itself, where did, what was the writing process like for that? Like pre music video, obviously. I mean, it's, it really is a beautiful song, stands on its own. Oh, how, how did that come up? How did that come about? I wrote it, I wrote it with my buddy, uh, Johnny Price, um, who's an incredible songwriter. And it, literally, I met with him in New York. And we, we initially, I wasn't thinking that I was going to write for myself. And we were like, let's just write a great love song. Um, and so we just sort of between the two of us, like, yeah, we just kind of reflected on like our relationship with love and, and things. And we really just wanted to set out to write a soulful, meaningful love song. And I, I really like the song. Like I, I, I love that people are connecting with it in different ways. And some people are connecting with it, not even as a like romantic love song, but like mm. parents being like, I played this for my kid, you know, like oh. I, which I, I love that stuff. I love, I love being able to write something that kind of people can approach from different angles. But um, yeah. I have, I have to say as like a songwriter myself, I, I find it amazing that I know when I tend to try and, get in a co-write and I'm like, let's write this kind of a song. It yeah. never ends that way. I'm impressed that you sat down with the intentionality to say, I'm going to write a great love song. Honestly, it doesn't usually end that way no. for me either. I think I did go in, I knew that I had the, I knew I just had that one line. If I didn't love you, what would I have? So I, we, we started with that and then, um, and built it around that. But yeah, it doesn't, it's not always successful. I mean, I mean, most of the time when I write songs with other people, they don't end up being things I want to keep for myself. So this was one of the rare occasions and that then, it worked out. And then Jillian, do you recall the first time you heard Ben's music and what really attracted you to the rest of his stuff? I'm, I'm not joking you. I remember where I was like in my house. Like wow. it was no such way. a moment. Like I, I remember, cause I'm, I, I get very like, into I, I'm so I love creativity I love mm. creatives so the second I see someone where I'm like they have it they're they know who they are they're in their skin like it's so I just can't stop thinking about it and I remember a friend of mine had posted um his cover of in your eyes and I I literally was like who is this man staring into my soul right now? And <laughs> because it's such that that first image is such intense eye contact. And I was like, how can I take that and ruin it and make him a stalker? Um, <laughs> I didn't think that in that moment, but I was like, I was like, who's this person who like really knows who he is and knows where he wants to go. And I need to, I need to know more about him. And so then I, I started listening to his music and then I was like, I can't believe I'm going to be this person who DMs someone I don't know to be like your music. I think I literally said this music made this pandemic less shitty. And wow, I just wanted you to know that because I do creative things too. And if someone thought that about me, I would be excited. And he was like, 
I know who you are. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not some weirdo. It is funny you mentioned the pandemic. And I mean, it's something that I'm so glad because I think for the first six months that we did this podcast every day, that's all we talked about. Because I mean, we were living in it. We're all creatives here. We all were living in this this time period. But Ben, I was doing some research and I was reading back uh, something you did with American Songwriter, where you were talking about kind of yeah. the effects of the pandemic on your life. And it's something that recently now being able to look back on it slightly saying like, holy hell, we as creatives lived through just like Armageddon in a certain perspective for us. Do you mm. know what I mean? Yeah. My question to you is kind of because I know Friendly Fire came out a few months ago and it's an amazing album. But like what effect did that have on the entire because I know you said through the process, it, it delayed things, it pushed things back, it delayed things for everybody. But what effect did that have on you in creating the new album? Uh I, it was pretty. It was pretty bleak for me. It's been, it's been. I think it's been good. It's it's forced a kind of creative midlife crisis. I think because I moved to America. I finished the album end of twenty nineteen, and I moved to America in January twenty twenty to release oh, the album. God. You poor son of a bitch! I you moved to America at the wrong up, time. <laughs> I packed up my whole house in Melbourne. I put stuff on a boat. I was like, "This is it." And I went. I remember I went out of meeting. We mixed the album in January in New York, um, went and had a meeting in February with Atlantic and, you know, sitting in Julie Greenwald, the head of Atlantic Records, sitting in her office, playing her a couple of the songs. And she was like, wow, this is going to be a big year. Let's, let's get ready. And we were just like, this is it. <laughs> and then a month later, you know, having to sit on it for two years, I also feel like within that two years, the entire music industry changed. You know, TikTok wasn't a thing. I mean, TikTok was around, but it wasn't It wasn't a force for releasing music and, and culture. And it wasn't a cultural force in the way that it is now. So I feel like the way I've described it is, um, you know, I grew up in the 90s and 2000s. I feel like I've spent my life training for this marathon and mm -hmm. I finally arrived. I'm signed to an incredible record label. I have an incredible team. And I've arrived and I'm like, I'm ready to go. And they're like, it's a swimming race. Now. Yes. And oh. I'm like, oh, but I'm really good at running. And yes. They're like, we know you are, <laughs> but we're all in the pool now. So let's get, you know, so it's been, it's been good. It's, you know what? It's, it's really been humbling. I've had to let go of all my expectations. Mm -hmm. I've had to, you know, I've had to kind of accept certain things not working out the way I would want and then take the victories. I mean, the day that we shot this video, I was standing covered in blood, <laughs> you know, looking around at all these incredible people who were working to help me with my music. And I was like, this has to be success. If, you know, if I'm not getting the other things that I thought I was going to get through my, through my music and stuff, how, how can I miss this moment? So, I, have, I have never heard anybody synthesize what the pandemic for artists was like was rather than so well said. running the marathon and finding out that it's a swimming race. Yeah. Like I'll, I'll speak from personal experience. We were touring heavy. We just started doing big festivals. We had all this music yeah. ready to go. And then we get pulled off the road and I don't play a show for two years. But in that capacity, I start working with Dante and Dave and Kenny and these assholes. And now there's something different. Like ad yeah. adaptation was something that really, if you came out of this and you're still doing it, you adapt to whoever came. I think that's the key. I, look, it's a little harder to do when you're 37 than when you're 23. I remember when YouTube first came out and like, I was like, so on that. And I, I made a lot of like new fans through that. And a lot of my friends are like, it's too crazy for me to learn that technology. That's now how I feel about like TikTok and stuff. I mean, oh, even okay. like 
you know, we've made this crazy video with like three incredible people, two incredible actors, and even just getting the conversation, getting people to talk about it is so much harder now than it probably would have been two or three years ago because there are there are so many great sourdough recipes to look at that take 90 <laughs> seconds. You know, like <laughs> so yeah, the, the world has definitely changed. And I think it's I think we are all in a state of learning how to adapt to that. And it's crazy. Jill, was this was that the same situation when it came to the the movie industry, the TV industry? Like, did you guys have that same kind of a struggle, or did things keep moving in a certain perspective? Uh, it's like a bit of both. Like, it was sort of like we had this downtime, and then everybody was like, "Let's get back at it," and everyone was like, "Is that safe?" Yeah. And, and then the the people answering were like, "Who knows? Put a mask <laughs> on." And and you know, I ended up doing a lot of indie films over the pandemic. And one of them was with this guy, Brandon Dermer, who was a first time director. And we shot it with 20 people total. That's wow. cast and crew. And it was before we had vaccines. So it was very scary, but we shot in one house, one location. And, you know, I was trying to support him as much as I could as a first time filmmaker. And he had directed a ton of music videos. And so when I said to him, I kind of want to get into directing, he was the one who pushed me to, to start asking people if I can direct their music videos. Oh, so awesome. he was the one behind me asking Ben, like, do you have a song I could maybe mm. direct a music video for? And he ended up coming on and producing this music video. Oh, so wow. it, and then we used all the same crew from that movie of like 20 people Amazing. to come out and shoot this music video. So it's it's kind of been weird and kismet there's so much of that that's happened throughout this pandemic like uh, just the kismet nature of like we're all in this together like yeah. let's see what i feel like i've met so many amazing people through this like i wouldn't have known dante and look at him now i'm talking to him while he's sitting in an airport <laughs> uh, it but is such a weird time of like if you can grapple with everything's out of our control and come out on some other side again it's like ben's like now i'm starting to swim like i'm a swimmer now i yeah. you know what I mean? like just trying to figure out how to exist in a world where you're like trying to control your art so much and then being like okay there's huge parts of it that we can't control but yeah. on this day when we came together and made this music video it was sort of like what what if what if we can control everything in this moment like what does that look like and it was a blast I mean, guys, you did an amazing job. I'm so excited. Everybody, please go Thanks, check man. out the video for If I Didn't Love You. Go check out the new record. Go check out everything Jillian's doing. I have one more question left for each of you guys, and these both uh, refer to people that I'm giant fans of that you guys have worked with. So, Ben, when I'm doing my research, I look, and you were involved in Praying by Kesha. Yeah. How the hell did that happen? It's one of the greatest songs <laughs> in the last 10 years. How did that come together? Thanks. Uh... There's a sort of, there's a bit of a long story that I, I guess I've told in some places if you really want to dig in. But basically, um, Ryan Lewis from Ryan Lewis and Macklemore reached out to me. Well, he, my manager used to work with Kesha's management. So there was a mm -hmm. connection there. Um, and through that, I, Kesha and I had worked together on, on this other song that never came out or anything. So I was friends with her. And then Ryan Lewis had reached out being like, I have this idea that I would love to explore. They connected us up. He and I started like digging in on this concept and sort of put this chorus together for praying and then brought it to Kesha. 
And we were like, this is your, like, oh, there's, the only person that could sing this song is you. And then to, the three of us together finished the song. And she, I mean. How did you even write another chorus after you wrote Prang's chorus? I would just, I would <laughs> I, the jury's out. The jury's out on whether I've ever written another chorus. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, dude, as a songwriter, I just want to, God. Damn it, that's Thanks. a great hook, dude. Wow. Thanks. Man. Um, well, I mean, look, I wish I wish I could I wish I could say it was all me, but it, it, I mean, Ryan's a phenomenal songwriter and producer and just, you know, it was a true collaboration. We had Windsor on recently who did the hook for next year. So we've had a little mm. bit of Ryan Lewis McElmore talking here before, but yeah, I, didn't, yeah, yeah. I didn't even know he was involved in that. So we yeah, learned things every time here. He produced he produced it and it's phenomenal. Unbelievable. Uh, and Jillian, my other thing is we had a recent guest on this podcast that you worked with a few different times. We had Ice Cube on. <laughs> what yes. is it like working with, because you only work with him when he's doing outlandish shit, when he's Captain Dixon or in fist fight. Like, what is it like working with Ice Cube in a serious capacity? I mean, it's insane. It's Ice Cube. You're like, <laughs> what do I call you? Yes. <laughs> Mr. Ice? Like, what do we, I think I just, <laughs> I think I just said cube and I tried to say it confidently because other people were saying that. Um, he's is so interesting. I mean, he, he's so lovely and weird and like funny and just surprisingly funny because yes. he seems so serious. He's got such a serious manner about him, but he's actually like very funny. Um, and I remember when I was working on Fist Fight, he walked up to me at the table where he's like, what is this, 23 Jump Street? And I was like, ah. So I was like, okay, good, he remembers me. Um, <laughs> I didn't have to reintroduce myself. Um, but yeah, it's so weird that I've done two movies with Ice Cube. <laughs> I, that is one of those people that like we had him on and we we talked about this earlier like when ben did you did you think it was a real dm right from from jillian mm -hmm. like my whole thought was because they were like yeah we're having ice cube on just be there at three and i was like there's no fucking way ice cube showing up this is fake and he sits down with sunglasses on inside and <laughs> as shit like not a single ounce of like i am one of the greatest rappers of all time like i am like king of like nothing he is just a good dude and i'm so glad to hear that he's a good dude outside of our little interaction oh yeah good dude uh also you're working again with uh kyle and blake from workaholics am i right yeah i mean we just did a movie together so right. that was that was the one that was um um directed by brandon dermer this the first time director so we all did something kyle financed it and blake um plays my boyfriend in it yeah so Wait, what is your boyfriend in it? Yeah. Well, I mean, everything's kind of on FaceTime. So I don't want people to be like, whoa, they're finally, you know, <laughs> we weirdly had like a will they won't they on workaholics, which I didn't realize until someone sent me a montage of like scenes with us. I was like, oh, we had a, it's, it's been a minute. I forgot. I, I, I literally can't explain to you like how shocking it was. I think we talked about this before the interview started, but I am a giant workaholics fan. And I thought this was just Ben on the interview. And then I saw Jillian Bell listed on the, the Zoom list. And I was like, Jillian Bell's a director. Who's Jillian Bell? And I was like, no fucking way. I called Dante and Kenny and Dave right away. And I was like, dude, it's Jill from Workaholics. Let's go. Oh, it's, I was so excited. It's so funny because my name on that show was Jillian Belk. So it was just they added a K. <laughs> and so when that show came out and people started to to watch it like I I would have people approach me and be like Jillian and I'm like hi and I would always hug people and they'd be like oh you don't um you don't know me <laughs> like, oh okay hello <laughs> Just, uh, 
Wait. Oh, last question. Ben, do you ever plan on doing any acting again? Uh, funnily, yes. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I don't. I don't know. I mean, I. I'm. I know He's enough. So good. Guys, you got the perfect, you have the perfect sequel lined up for this video, too. You can just flip it and have Charlie and Mary Elizabeth stalk you for a day while <laughs> you're around. No. Just have every music video now be you're getting stalked or stalking or you get beaten to death or you be perfect. Perfect. There you go. That's your brand. There you go. Branding exactly. taken care of. <laughs> uh, so guys thank you so much we've taken up too much of your time we appreciate it everybody go check out everything that thank Ben you. and Jillian have going on we can't thank you enough come back on whenever you'd like we appreciate it thank you guys so much alright so that was our friends Jillian Bell and Ben Abraham great interview uh, go check that music video out if you haven't yet I feel like we can I feel like we can call them friends after that that was they so, were that was, that was so much very, that was a very casual and candid interview. They were they were fucking awesome. They were. Um, go check everything they have going on. Uh, big shout out to Ben Mintz as well. I'm sure Mintz will be back. That's the most energetic man on earth. I he's he's a monster. I'm I'm a ball of energy, and even I, I even I'm like I can't keep up. He's a fucking beast. He's a beast. And Dave's got to take a shit, and he's hungover, and he's just. All right, what do we got? What do we got? What do we got? All right, yeah, let's get through this quickly. I got two things. Uh, Lollapaloozas this weekend, obviously, Dante, that has to do with you and Dave. Can you tell never me what it's been, like never want to go, never had the, like, any ounce of will to go. It's just not something that I want anything to do with. <laughs> it's the worst weekend uh, of the city down here, I think. I uh, disagree. I go every year. I feel like it's a rite of passage living in Chicago. It's in our backyard. Yeah, everybody uh, tells me that, and that's part of the reason I don't ever <laughs> want to fucking go. It's like, oh, you've never been to Lala? It's like, you got to go. It's like, no, I don't. I, <laughs> I will say, I will say to Dave's defense, every year I go, I swear it's the last year I'm going. I'm like, I'm never fucking doing this again. Every year the kids get younger. The adults get scarcer. The acts get more terrible but every year i find myself fucking schlepping it to grant park and i mean dude the weather if you could see the weather today it is fucking stunning this weekend they lucked out so big with the weather it's gonna be incredible um yeah so i gotta do that i will say uh i'm very disappointed in c3 and live nation i had been emailing them for about three months for a media pass. I wanted to go there and cover it for backstage and basically give them free promo, which, yeah, I know they don't need, but uh, yeah, they completely just ghosted me. Not even like, no, thank you. Just no response for three months. So. Well, then they're on the list, dude. They're, they're on the list of people that if you need me to ban them, that just let me know. <laughs> Let's do no. It. No, because I got some I got some homies at Live Nation that are fucking great people, but they're in the wrong department. Uh, they couldn't they couldn't make any magic happen. But so I'm just going uh, as a civilian this weekend. Don't Next care. Year. Don't oh, hey, there I need you to get Next me year. two four day passes for uh, the smoke. <laughs> <laughs> Is it for you? For yeah, for me. Oh, and done. Of course, done. You're on, you're on my list. Boom. There you go. Easy as that. 
Uh, last thing say, you just have to be there Saturday night when I play. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. That's right. yeah. We'll be All there. Right. Last thing I wanted to cover has to do with kind of what Dante just said, but young asshole fans, we need to talk about what happened because I got woken up on fucking Saturday night because my phone was blowing up because Barstool's main account ta- backstage when Kid Cudi was on stage filling in for Kanye West, getting pelted with water bottles. He left as he should because fuck those kids. Because those kids ratted on themselves, by the way, too. They videotaped themselves throwing the bottles and hitting Kid Cudi in the face. Who shows up five minutes later? Kanye. As a Kanye fan, this was a tough one. This is a tough one to try and rationalize. I've actually had people DMing me. Or no, fucking it was in the, the backstage um, fucking group chat saying that wasn't really yeah. Kanye. It was Colin, in a Colin knows his shit, man. He would not just throw that out there just to throw that out there. That was Kanye. Uh, Caleb, Caleb, sorry. Yeah, no, I his, I will say when he threw it out there, I was like, man, that could be like an MF Doom. I was instance. gonna say like, MF Doom, dude. Yeah, but then his his argument was what he put on weight. He was like, it, it couldn't be. come on, dude. Kanye's fucking been out of shape for like five years now. Yeah, and he so, wore the, the, he wore the big alien glasses too. Like I Yeah. All I know is Fuck those kids and fuck Rolling Loud for putting Kid Cudi in that situation. But also, what did did Kid Cudi do it as a slight to Kanye? This whole thing is the the rap world has turned into WWE. When you have these fucking storylines where you got Kid Cudi taking over when he's beefing with Kanye, and then Kanye coming out to fucking do during his dude. It's it's WWE. It's all a show at this point. Like it, it was the most outlandish thing I've ever seen in my entire life. But either way, if you're throwing bottles at performers on stage, you should have to fist fight them on stage. And I think Kid Cudi would have watched that kid. That's just how totally, I Totally, totally agree. They as, should, I'm wear, as I'm wearing a Kanye shirt, which really doesn't help my argument. No, I agree. They should find the people and bring them up on stage and uh, just expose them for the bitches they are. You're the thing the is, they biggest, would love that. No, they wouldn't. Dude, if you th- if they're fucking cowards. If you throw something at a performer or at a sporting event, onto the playing field or at the stage or at the performer, you are the, you are the biggest fucking piece of shit on the planet. Agreed. Because you're, you're fucking coward. It's one thing like all like they're fucking psychopaths, but respect to Dave's boys, the Legee father and son that ran on the field and, and actually threw through punches at the umpire at, at the White Sox. Game. This was like mad long ago, right? Didn't they run on scumbag yeah, yeah, yeah. fucking scumbags, but at least they didn't sit there like in cover in the crowd and, and launch projectiles and then fucking try to hide. I've been at multiple sporting events in Philadelphia where things were thrown on the field. Like obviously, obviously preseason games. They, they chuck shit there. Animals. We are what we are, dude. We are, we are. Don't you dare take some sort of high and muddy thing, dude. You're fucking, you're a Boston sports fan. You guys are no better than us. And animals. Except for all your championships. Whatever. Uh, yeah, so that's the episode this week. Uh, I don't want to go, in, we, we've gone through enough this episode. Uh, great interviews. Thank you to Ben Abraham and Jillian Bell. Thank you to Mintz for stopping by. Early congratulations to Kenny Carkeet. Can we do that? Oh Yeah, yeah for sure. By the time this episode's out. Uh, he's they're inducing tomorrow. You said, right? 7 a.m. Yeah. yeah. Two, two time father, two time father, dude. He's the first father uh, of the podcast. Very true that we I know might have a few bastard children yeah. running around yeah, out Dave, there. Dave might also, uh, <laughs> check out Chase Rice's new single out yes. today. This will drop tomorrow out today. Uh, Key West in Colorado. 
Um, he gave us a nice shout out, which will be accompanying this podcast, maybe on social media. So check out Chase Rice's new single. Boom, baby. Uh, all right, gentlemen, I'll see you guys next week. Uh, anything else for me? That's all I no. got. Love all you right. guys. Great, great work. Fuck you guys. Love you.